I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hey, Great Fail listeners, this week we'll be showcasing another show on the Adweek Podcast Network called Speed of Culture, hosted by Matt Britton. Speed of Culture talks about the rapidly evolving landscape that brands must move at in order to thrive. And in this episode, Matt speaks to the CEO of Brooks Brothers on how the 200-year-old brand was able to pivot their iconic officeware during the COVID-19 pandemic. Check out The Speed of Culture wherever you listen to podcasts or at adweek.com forward slash speed. And stay tuned because in two weeks, we'll return with a brand new episode on the great fail of Von Dutch. There will be lies, backstabbing, celebrities, and even a murder. You won't want to miss it. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I do think one thing that you really have to respect and that I do slow down for is the creative process. You can't really rush that. And that doesn't mean that you can't fast track things and you can't move faster on certain things. But for the most part, you know, that quality does take time. To thrive in a rapidly evolving landscape, brands must move at an ever-increasing pace. I'm Matt Britton, founder and CEO of Suzy. Join me and key industry leaders as we dive deep into the shifting consumer trends within their industry, why it matters now, and how you can keep up. Welcome to the Speed of Culture. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to today's edition of our Speed of Culture podcast. I'm here today with a dear friend and a special guest, 
CEO of Brooks Brothers, Ken Ohashi. Ken, how are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for doing this. We're here in your shiny new Brooks Brothers headquarters. I was just saying as we were walking in here, it feels like 2019 again, walking through here and seeing all the employees and the energy and the vibe. It's good to see people back. And I know you guys actually work throughout the entire pandemic. Yeah. In the office. yeah. I mean, it's interesting and you know this, but we actually purchased Brooks Brothers right in the middle of pandemic. So and when you say we, who's we? It was a partnership between Authentic Brands Group and Simon Properties. So okay. Jamie Salter and David Simon. Right. And what was awesome about that was we literally bought a shirt and suit brand in the middle of the pandemic. So and we'll we get into be, that. That yeah. was the fun. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, joyous. Well, you know, let's rewind a little bit. Let's start by getting to know a little bit about you and your yeah. journey. Tell us yeah. all the roads that led to you becoming CEO of Brooks Brothers, one of the most iconic brands in apparel fashion. Okay. So for a number of years, worked in the consumer products group, covered a bunch of retail, pharmaceutical advertising. I really fell in love with retail. I joined Aeropostale, which a company you guys probably know. I joined the company pre-IPO, really helped get the company to become public. I did a number of roles, including the head of IR, which I learned a lot there, went on to a strategy role, and then went on to sort of um, run and develop and run the international business. So in Aeropostale, we opened 300 stores in less than five years, which was a lot of travel. Yeah. But that was a super fun period. And when Aeropostale started to run into some trouble, Jamie and Authentic Brands Group purchased the company. I then went on to work for Jamie to run the international business at Authentic Brands Group. And that was so much fun. I did that for four years built the China office, built the Mexico office, built the Europe business. And what was awesome about that was in many ways, I had had a retail background, but Authentic Brands Group has a pretty big celebrity and entertainment portfolio. So really got to understand more of the media side of the business, not just sort of vertical retail, but other channels of distribution, whether it's events. So that was a lot of fun. I learned a lot. And then During the pandemic, we made another number of acquisitions at Authentic Brands Group, including Brooks Brothers. And I had been wanting to go back to the operating side of the business for a while. And as I was working on the due diligence for Brooks Brothers, I mean, I fell in love with the brand. It's just such an iconic brand. And you may not know this, but Brooks Brothers is just tons and tons of innovation in its history, invented the Navy blazer, actually invented the shirt with the collar and the button on it. Oh, wow. um, And really invented men's ready to wear as we know it. Back, call it 200 years ago, people had everything custom made for them. And you didn't really have off the rack product. And Brooks Brothers really invented that. And I just love the company in the sense that it it was really curious in its history brought a lot of fashion from overseas into America, including like Madras from India, invented Searsucker. It did the first collab with Lacoste, which was unheard of in the day for you take a French tennis brand and mash it up with Brooks Brothers. Like it was really, really innovative in the way that it was thinking about the business. It also was one of the first American brands to go international. Uh, The Japan business has been around for over 40 years, but it was one of the first American companies to go overseas. So a lot, a lot of great history there that I felt was a huge unlock for the consumer. What an amazing story. And I mean, so now here you are, CEO of Brooks Brothers. How would you describe your job on a day-to-day basis? What does the CEO of Brooks Brothers actually do every day? It's an honor to be CEO of this incredibly iconic brand. I feel like I have a lot of responsibility in the menswear space to make sure that we're sort of the leader and front and center around innovation and fashion. I think a lot of customers rely on Brooks Brothers for quality and craftsmanship at 
you know, sort of an accessible value. So I feel a lot of responsibility around that. I would say my biggest thing is it's like a push and pull. So I spend a lot of my time, you know, trying to move the brand forward in a lot of ways. And I, I feel like I spend a lot of my time actually a meeting before this, I was on a vendor call. Everybody knows that the industry is having supply chain issues right now. So yeah. I find like I'm blocking and tackling a lot of the time. So, you know, spending a lot of time making sure that we build contingencies. How do we get the product here faster? Do we air? How do we work with the vendors so to give them better projections? A lot of logistics. But at the same time, working on a lot of fun stuff about like, what is the brand narrative and how do we work? And I know we're going to get to it later, but also how do we think about marketing and how do we think about branding and how do we think about talking to the consumer? And, you know, we have historically, the company has had sort of a consumer on the older demographic. And like, how do we make sure that we're talking to the next generation of Brooks Brothers customers on a continuous basis? But then how do we not alienate our customer that has always been with us for a number of years. So also coming big, out of the, the global pandemic, yeah. all the changes in yeah. office and all, uh, you know, and workwear. And there's so many different, I think, variables that you have to kind of weigh when charting the future of this business, right. I would imagine. Right. So awesome. Well, that was, I think, hugely helpful and really inspiring in terms of your journey and, and where you are right now. And I have no doubt that Brooks Brothers will continue to thrive under your leadership. We're going to go into the next section, which we call Culture Watch. And basically, we're all about the speed of culture at Suzy, yeah. you know, allowing our customers to put the finger on the pulse of the consumer. And we want to delve deeper into understanding what brands, technologies, and consumer trends are driving growth, growth from your perspective. So I'm going to ask you four questions. Okay. And I have 30 seconds to answer each of them, really trying to get inside your mind. So let's okay. start with the first one. Okay. What is the most important business decision that you had to make quickly? Okay. There's probably two. Okay. One is just, it always starts in t- with talent. I brought on a creative director, Michael Bastian, who was in a very, very important talent because I think that he sets the tone for the organization, what we do creatively. And I would say in connection with that, historically, all of the design and product decisions were made in Europe. I brought everything back to the U.S. Yeah, the lens of the business is kind of through the U.S., but still having a global perspective. And I know that doesn't sound like a big shift, but it actually is because it's a clear aesthetic shift in the business, which, thank God, it's working. Absolutely. That's good. And then it's resonating with the customer, and that's the most important thing. But we did close the Italy office, and we moved everything back to New York. So that was a big one. Yeah. Let's talk about the fastest growing industry or business that you see coming out in the next couple of years. There are a few. Look, I mean, I think everything that's happening with energy, and I'm seeing it across everywhere. Like right. I'm seeing it because obviously we have a pretty big e-commerce business that's almost $200 million. So we ship every day. We ship product to our stores. Energy, I think, and how we get smarter and faster and more efficient, I think, is a hot topic. I think from a consumer perspective, which I think we're going to get into in a bit, I think electric cars are definitely something that we're talking about. And I think the secondary thing, just to shift gears a little bit, is anyone that can create content is going to win. I agree. And it's really about what we're doing right now, live content, things that feel authentic and real, not just static, is going to be uh, really, really important. Great. Number three. What do you think the fastest growing product will be in the next few years? I think Tesla is going to take... Are you a Tesla owner? I'm a Tesla owner. I think they were very, very smart. First of all, the product from a design perspective is sort of fluid. I think they built the network to support the cars, especially in New York. And I would say they're made in USA. It's a made in USA, made in America business. You know, so all those things are, I think, are incredibly important. And I think making sure like they have long range on their cars. 
I'm not an advertisement for Tesla. I know, right. us, by the way, a lot of Tesla owners talk the way that you talk, and that just you know that that's the definition of advocacy, right? Brand right. love is getting people to talk right. about it like they are right. being paid to do it, right? Right. So, and then lastly, what do you think the fastest growing consumer trend will be this year and heading into the future? So I think there are two, getting back to my point earlier. One is, let's just talk about content creation. Um, and I have my head of marketing. And I talk a lot about the way we approach marketing is very different. I think historically, you know, companies did these beautiful campaigns that were meant for billboard or they were made for catalog or they were meant for in-store signage. And the way we spend money right now on marketing is all through digital marketing, digital media. Yeah. The way, you know, like social media is the new billboard, right? If you think about it. And so live content is very important. So even when team they're shooting our campaigns, we're making sure that all of that content is being captured. And that really is the money that we're spending around that live content, less so around sort of the static images. That and that's, that's a huge shift, especially in the world of fashion and apparel, right. which are so image-based right. for so long. Right. You looked at the, you know, September Vogue, you know, yeah. print ads or the big billboards you've seen. And now I do think a lot of marketers in your industry, rightly so, have to become more creative, much more dynamic. So, so, so if we launch a collab, right, it's more interesting for the customer to see how that collab is being launched Absolutely. in a store with the customers coming up, grabbing the product. Like that journey is more important than just, you know, showing the collab on a photography perspective on a static image. So I think that's going to be important. I would say the second thing, which I'm seeing a big, big increase in is just customization and customization is so broad, but it's really the micro customization that you're seeing. And like when you go to Chipotle, you can see the number of variations or Starbucks, the number of options that you can build in the product that you want. And I think that is going to only increase both within our industry and other industries. All right, so let's get, let's get into that. So a lot of topics. We're going to double-click on a, a couple of these things okay. so we can go for it. I think you brought up so much. It's good. This was a great way to kind of see what's going inside your mind every day and the things that you're thinking about. So the first thing you brought up was talent. And you talked about how you, you know, you've had to hire so many executives in such a short period of time. What do you look for in talent? And what are the big drivers of you saying, I need to hire him or her to come to my executive team? Yeah, I think the the few things that I really look for is someone that really understands the aesthetic of the brand and where we're really trying to take it. So, you know, a shared vision for the business yeah. is incredibly important. For me, someone that can really work in a team environment is important and someone that can really deliver what they say. How, how, they're gonna deliver that. how do you know someone can work in a team environment from an interview? It's really, really difficult. I mean, I think it's little cues about whether they take credit for things fully on their own or whether they, you know, really feel like the teams help them. It's it's how much you catch them talking about cross-functional partners it's versus true. themselves. I read that in their and their yeah. And I think I think that's right, right? Like we can't turn this business with just one function, right? right? Brooks Brothers. All of the function, all eleven of my executives have to be sort of humming all in the same direction. And I think that's reflected in conversation with people. And I think you catch that very, very quickly. So, I, I mean, I think that that's 
a telltale sign for me. Yeah, I, I can't remember the book I read it in, but it was like you ask somebody what's the best thing they accomplished, and if when they're telling the story of what they accomplished, if they use the word "I" more than "we" and they don't yeah. talk about their team at all, right. then you know they probably won't be a team player. Right. And I think what's important also is if typically the person that I'm talking to, where they're usually had a function within a company. So, like you may be talking to somebody from planning or somebody from IT or finance, you want to make sure that they can talk broader versus just sort of their one function. And then you can get a really feel for like, did they really understand the business? Do they really understand all the nuances? Versus working in a silo. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. The other thing you talked about was how you had to pivot to this uncharted sportswear territory. And I remember, you know, talking with you. I sent you some stuff. Yeah, you did. (laughs) You sent me some stuff. But not only that, I, I mean, when we were talking when the pandemic hit, and you were running Brooks Brothers yeah. and all the offices closed and all the major cities. And all of a sudden you had to figure it out. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine a bigger challenge in business. Talk us through the decision to pivot to sportswear, how it's worked out. You know, what are the different variables yeah. that somebody like yourself takes into account before making this massive decision to really change the tides of, of your future? Yeah. So when we purchased the company, less than 25% of the business was sportswear. And like just clear definition for sportswear, it's basically what Matt and I are wearing right, right. now. Those of you who are listening, Ken's wearing a lovely uh, Brooks Brothers card. Brooks Brothers. Yeah. And I'm wearing just a long sleeve gray t-shirt. So that's sportswear. You can, can, the vision. You can fix that. Yeah. I think, I think Ken might need to, you know, dazzle me up a little bit. But Brooks Brothers is historically known for suits and dress shirts. And we're in the middle of a pandemic. So we had to make a shift pretty quickly. I think the biggest thing is just getting the aesthetic right. Like, right. How do you take sort of the DNA of Brooks Brothers and then translate it to sportswear? And I think Michael, my merchandising team, uh, marketing, everybody sort of rallied together to say, we're going to move the business in this way. We got the business close to almost 50% sportswear for men's in the month of December. And so like, that was a huge shift. And listen, it's not as easy as like, oh, you get the design right. You have to make sure that you have the right vendors that they can produce it. You look at fabric qualities to make sure that, you know, do we use Supima cotton? What's the right cashmere blend? Like all those things have to happen and they all have to align. And I'm not saying it was like perfect out the gate, but I couldn't have been happier. And it really, really helped us and saved us during the pandemic. And it was funny because we launched a Brooks Brothers athleisure program, like a sweats program, right? But like, how do you do a sweats program for Brooks brothers? And how do you do it in our handwriting? Right? So we use like a beautiful PK fabric and we did little things like you can get your sweatpants monogrammed, wow. which 25% of the sweatpants that we sold are actually monogrammed. So like, how do we make you sure that it's Brooks brothers? How do we still make it feel like Brooks brothers, but it's meeting the needs of our customers. Right. So that was something that was definitely we all got behind, we all rallied, but it was a big strategic. Amazing. Place. And it goes to the second point you talked about in terms of fastest growing trends. And you talk about real-time content creators and you talked about storytelling in the journey. Right. I would imagine you have to do a lot of that when you're pivoting your brand because you need to make sure that the brand has a right to play in that space. Right. You can't just switch out the inventory one yeah. day and say, hey guys, we do this now. Right. So what was that about in terms of how you went to market telling a story about we're not just about you form our workwear anymore. Yeah. We were about sportswear. Yeah. yeah, I think it's really about creating these micro stories. Right. Like the teams did a great job creating this micro story around athleisure. 
and making sure that we sort of feed that top of funnel and making sure that we feed that and making sure that we can get new customers. And it's kind of like playing with a lot of... What's a micro story? Give me an example. Um, Like a micro shoot. So instead of doing these huge campaigns, like be okay with shooting like half a day, taking some influencers, making sure that you seed it, like making sure that you take this content that feels dynamic and feels authentic. Right. And like just blowing that out. So we used a lot of influencers as part of our content play, not just relying on ourselves. And that was a huge success. The other thing with Sportswear was we did a collab with Fila where we learned a lot. And with that collab, we really tried different channels of media to say like where would things work and where didn't it work and why. And I think that was really interesting. So I think one of the things that we don't get it perfect out the gate, obviously, and we don't ever get it perfect. But I think the one change with the company since we purchased is there's a level of curiosity around like what will work, how far can we take the brand? Wow, this channel really worked. What does that mean? And I think sort of digital media allows you to really do that. Yeah. And absolutely. that's something that you can't really do in brick and mortar. It's like you get one shot at your front Static. windows. Static. Right. And right. digital media allows you to say like, where's their interest versus where's the customer not responding? And then how do you dig deeper? And that's been both a big learning for us. And then it's also been just sort of, sort of fun. And I think it's, uh, it's fun for everyone to kind of yeah, learn. Absolutely. So just to wrap this uh, section up, you had talked about two other things that I think may be in some ways contradictory of one another. Right. And I'm curious to hear how you see it playing out. First, you talked about personalization. Right. right. And in terms of what the consumer wants. But then you talked about the importance when you talk about Tesla of energy efficiency. Right. And to me, I'm thinking, well, how does that fit into a broader story of sustainability in fashion? If someone is getting sweatpants monogrammed and, you know, versus like maybe a rent the runway model where you're taking clothing, you're giving it back. How are those two things going to play out? I, I think you bring up a really interesting point. I mean, I think for Brooks Brothers, we're about quality and craftsmanship. And I'm constantly hearing these stories about like my grandfather, I have this Brooks Brothers jacket from my grandfather from like 56 years ago. And like we actually, when we first bought the business to celebrate the longevity of the product, we actually launched a vintage shop where we took vintage products on our website and we sold it. So we do believe in that quality and craftsmanship. And I think the sustainability piece is real. I mean, we're constantly looking at fabrics that we think are sustainable fabrics. We also believe in Sapima cotton, which is the top 1% cotton that's grown in the US. It's also more energy efficient. It uses less water overall. So we're constantly looking at things through that filter and through that lens to say, how do we make our product last longer? And even if you think your average suit, I mean, your average suit is lasting a guy, it could last a guy a decade easily. So we do believe in sort of these, what I want to call these, these long life products and continue to build those long life products. That's awesome. And what, curiously, just what do you, on the side, what do you think about these clothing rental businesses like Rent the Runway? Like, what do you think the future is of, of businesses like that? We're actually, we think there's an opportunity there. Yeah. Especially for a brand like Brooks Brothers. We really believe at the end of the day that everyone um, has a chance to look and feel their best yeah. through all of life's milestones. I mean, that's really the reason why we do what we do. Yeah. And, awesome. you know, renting product to people, whether it's for their wedding or it's a prom, right. or it's their first job interview. All of those moments or milestones and celebrations are important for Brooks Brothers and part of sort of our brand DNA. So more access to more people makes sense for us. Awesome. Great. So to close everything out, we talked a lot about speed and we're in a very yeah. fast paced world. But what did you feel is worth kind of slowing down for? 
what slows down Ken Ohashi in his world. Very little. Very little. Personally, um, professionally. I do meditate every morning. Okay. Which I find to be incredibly important. I do 10 minutes of yoga. How long have you been doing that for meditating? Consistently? Yeah. I, I would say it's been a year or so probably consistently. Okay. And how has it helped you in business? I walk through the door with a little more space, I would wow. say versus jumping right in there. I do think one thing that you really have to respect and that I do slow down for is the creative process. You can't really rush that. And I've learned to have great respect for sort of the design and development process. Design needs to be inspired by someone. They need to edit. They need to go through color. They need to talk things out. So I think really building the collection Michael and the rest of the team, along with the merchants, I mean, to give them the proper time to make sure what we bring to market is the right product is incredibly important. And that doesn't mean that you can't fast track things and you can't move faster on certain things. But for the most part, you know, that quality does take time and you can't rush it. And I think that's something that I definitely uh, slow down for and make sure that the organization slows down. for. That's awesome. Well, thank you for that. Uh, part of our Speed of Culture podcast is obviously doing research. And at the end of each uh, podcast episode, we actually ask the prior guests to give a question that they want us to ask the Suzy platform. And in our last episode, it was with Sophia Hernandez, Global Head of Business Marketing at TikTok. I actually would think you'd enjoy that episode given your guys going into the world of real-time content. But we talked about how brands can best support community. And we actually asked 500 consumers through our Suzy platform about this and learned that over half of people want brands to help connect people within the community. And 40% of uh, people want brands to provide educational content. So, you know, community is obviously a huge thing, something we talked about a lot uh, with Sophia in terms of brands fostering community between consumers and how coming out of the pandemic, consumers really have a need to connect with one another. So uh, coming out of our conversation, they can, uh, is there something that you'd like to know uh, from our Suzy audience in terms of how they're looking at the world? That's a good one. Well, I think what is interesting is, you know, I think one of the things that's happened is while the pandemic was happening, I'm fascinated with this overswing effect. Like in fashion, we talk about it a lot. One year you buy too much inventory. The next year you buy, you don't buy enough, right? right? Like, so we overswing everything, right? Like, remember the whole thing you and I talked about this, like New York City is dead. Right. Everybody is like, I never thought it was people dead. are selling their homes on the Upper West Side. Right. Real estate is crashing. Right. The same thing with, I think in our business, the biggest thing is sort of what happened was everybody was like, no one's going to wear a suit ever again. No one's going back to the offices. No one's ever going to put on a dress shirt uh, ever again. And we are definitely not seeing that in our business. Our business in dress shirts and suits, like I don't have enough right now. So I think my question, and that's a long-winded way to get my question, is is what areas do you think, and whether it's consumer products or whether it's consumer behaviors or behaviors around work that we have overswung that are going to return to a level of normalcy? It's a great question. Post COVID. Great. We will ask that and we will cover that on our next episode of Speed of Culture. Ken, it's been amazing. As always, we'll have to have you back in uh, a couple months and see how everything's working out. And obviously, I know your big season is the holiday season. I remember yeah. we talked last summer about the things that you were thinking about. Many of your predictions actually happen to be right about what was happening with e-commerce, You know, people going back into stores. And I'm sure there's a lot you're juggling right now with everything going on in the world. So thanks for taking time out of your busy calendar to join us. And it was a tremendous talk and I can't wait for our audience to hear it. So on behalf of myself, Matt Britton and Ken Ohashi, CEO of Brooks Brothers. Thanks so much for joining and we'll see you next time. Thank you guys. 
Speed of Culture is brought to you by Suzy as part of the Adweek Podcast Network and AGAS Creator Network. You can listen and subscribe to all Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. To find out more about Suzy, head to suzy.com. And make sure to search for the Speed of Culture in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Click follow so you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Suzy, thanks for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.